Mr. Speaker, this is Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. We're calling you together because we'd like to discuss, obviously, the election. Hey, Brian, it's Rudy. I really have something important to call to your attention that I think really changes things. I understand that you don't want to talk to me now, but I just want to bring some facts to your attention and talk to you as a fellow Republican. Arrest that man. Arrest him. He left courteous voicemail. And they arrested him. They indicted him for this stuff. Rudy Giuliani got indicted for leaving voicemails. Yeah. He wanted to talk to people about the election. You're still allowed to do this in America, uh, or are you? Rudy Giuliani was arrested. This is why he had to show up to Atlanta, Georgia, for the mugshot. And you know his co-conspirator, the president of the United States. Why is he in so much trouble down in Fulton County? So tell me, Brad, what are we going to do? We won the election, and it's not fair to take it away from us like this. And it's going to be very costly in many ways. When you heard those words, what did you think? Very costly. I heard the threat. Raffensperger Brad, he can't even keep a straight face. He wasn't being threatened. Donald Trump arrested for that phone call. I bring this up because we have to remember who Fannie Willis is, the prosecutor, what she has done, and now we're all learning about what a liar she is, how corrupt she is, and it's only a matter of time, really, before this whole case disintegrates. At the very least, she can't prosecute this thing anymore. Do you remember the big proud night she had, though? August of 2023. Today, based on information developed by that investigation, a Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment. I am giving the defendants the opportunity to voluntarily surrender no later than noon on Friday. I make decisions in this office based on the facts and the law. Um, the law is completely nonpartisan. That's how decisions are made in every case. Well, we've developed some information, and uh, it blows out of the water the idea that you have any integrity whatsoever. And maybe you brought this case just to spend time to the guy who was standing next to you, your boyfriend, Nate Wade. Yeah, the boyfriend. Maybe this case had more to do with paying him money, $600,000 over a two-year time frame, and you getting some of that money in return vacations, your silly excuse about cash. You went to the White House multiple times. Uh, so did your boyfriend. This is, and here's the new information, all right? This is why the context is needed. How much were these people in communication before they started dating? They told us they started dating in 2022. Well, in 2021, it's been determined that they made 2,000 phone calls to each other and nearly 12,000 text messages text not sext text and that's fine well maybe they were it doesn't matter in 2021 2021 now this is what they said in court i watched it on live television look when you bring a case like this that is so wrong we get to scrutinize everything take a look prior to november of 2021 in november of 2021 i hired him I do not consider our relationship to have become romantic until early of 2022. When did your romantic relationship with Ms. Willis begin? 
2022. When? In 2022. Early 2022. All right. Well, uh, all that texting and uh, phone calling was happening in 2021. I also noticed that Fanny said something that I think a lot of the millennials will be able to figure out when this relationship really started. From at least 2020, me and Mr. Wade were friends. At least that time period. Okay, I'm not talking okay, about. So no, no, no. I just I want to be clear because my credibility is being evaluated here, right? We were friends. We hung out prior to November of 2021. They were friends. They hung out. Hung out. That's code, quite frankly, for hooking up. All right. And they were visiting uh, each other's homes, especially Nate Wade going to her house 35 times. It looks like from the phone records, staying overnight. They were so emphatic on this point that whatever was going on, they never had sleepovers. Did Mr. Wade ever visit you at the condo that you leased from Miss Yurdy? He visited that condo, yes. He did? Yes. Did he ever spend the night at that condo? No. Just visited? Yeah, but he did visit for sure. Well, look, if you're lying uh, about all the other stuff, you might as well lie about this, including um, Nate. Here he goes. Would you say that was frequent? When I say frequent, do you think prior to November 1st of 2021, you were at the condo more than 10 times? No, sir. So it'd be less than 10 times? Yes, sir. So if phone records were to reflect that you were making phone calls from the same location as the condo before November uh, 1st of 2021, and it was on multiple occasions, the phone records would be wrong? If phone records reflected that, yes, sir. They'd be wrong. They'd be wrong. <laughs> the lawyer already had the phone records, it seems to me. He's wrong. He's being deceptive. I almost feel sorry for these people until I remember that they indicted the president of the United States for making a phone call, for engaging in politics. You're still allowed, for the time being at least, to engage in politics in America. But Donald Trump, you know what? All of these horrible things that happened, they're turning into majestic opportunities, aren't they? The mugshot, by the way, he's got good company. Martin Luther King was locked up by the same office, the Fulton County prosecutor back in the early 1960s. Is that great company or what? And what seemed like such a low moment for Donald Trump, you know, getting booked, getting arrested. He posted that picture on Twitter, the first tweet since January 6th. Election interference, never surrender, DonaldTrump.com. One of the biggest tweets in the history of the Internet. Pretty wild. Things have a way of working out. We're not there yet, but we're getting closer. Next, please. Tomorrow is primary day in South Carolina. Usually you have these on Tuesdays, but they're in South Carolina. It's on a Saturday. Polls close at 7 o'clock. Donald Trump, heavily, heavily, heavily favored to win by 20 points, 25 points, uh, a lot. And Nikki is getting desperate. Look at this, over the top, totally out of context. I mean, this is what Democrats do. Uh, it's a very ugly ad, and she, she deserves no one's support. From this day forward, 
A new vision will govern our land. The president's praise for the dictator of North Korea was disquieting. He speaks and his people sit up at attention. I want my people to do the same. The president had planned a secret meeting with Taliban leaders at Camp David just a few days before 9-11. President Trump sided with Putin over his own director of national intelligence. Criticized American allies. Take the guns first, go through due process second. American farmers hurt by tariffs. He's lost on trade. We are reducing debt. Adding $8 trillion on the Trump's watch. It's so easy to be presidential. Calling her a dog. Horse face. Very fine people on both sides. So the average little soundbite for each person was a second and a half. And she wraps up with the Charlottesville lie. President Trump did not say that neo-Nazis and white supremacists are very fine people. He said the opposite. And for her to engage in that, she has no respect for us. Right? We've all grown up. We're not in fourth grade, Nikki Haley. She seems to think we're in fourth grade. She talks like a fourth grade teacher. And now she talks like a desperate fourth grade teacher. Check this out. And since then, since I got out of the administration, I have called him out multiple times, which is why he's upset because he thinks I'm disloyal. I'm not loyal to anyone. I don't do that. Yeah, we're getting a really good picture of that. Nikki Haley is out for Nikki Haley. She's not loyal to anyone or anything. Thing, and I mean anything, all right? And uh, when you're running for president, it's okay to ask questions, all right? Even about you, Nikki Haley. Yeah, it is. She comes over to see me at Mar-a-Lago. Sir, I will never run against you. She brought her husband. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. Where, what happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? Where is he? He's gone. He knew. He knew. Now, is that the most outlandish, inappropriate thing to ask? No, it's politics. And it is a little unusual that uh, Michael Haley is not campaigning with, their, uh, with his wife. It's just a little bit odd. Okay, we understand. He's in the National Guard. Um, still, it's a little non-standard, folks, right? Uh, when you run for president, you usually have your uh, better half with you. As we look at Washington and as rancorous and partisan as Washington looks, I think we'd like a leader who can work with people, who respects other people's ideas and respects other people's opinions. And that's what I think George would do. That's the kind of leader he would be. The only person in this race who I believe has a chance of uniting this country around a set of common values is my husband, Barack Obama. In my adult lifetime, there has never been anyone better prepared for the job that awaits the next president than Hillary. Never. He will make America prosperous. He will make America proud. And yes, this man I know so well, Donald Trump, with your help and God's grace, will make America great again. Beautiful. All of them. Republicans, Democrats alike, supporting your spouse. It's okay to ask these questions. And we understand he's in Africa. He's in Africa. Uh, Nikki's exploiting this issue, right? I think it was all a bit of a setup. Anyway, was this sincere? As I prepare for what lies ahead, Michael is at the forefront of my mind. I 
I wish Michael was here today. And I wish our children, and I could see him tonight, but we can't. I am not moved. I'm sorry. This was voluntary on their part, all of it. Uh, good guy, I'm sure, although he is breaking the rules. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, what else did she say? He's serving on the other side of the world, where conflict is the norm, where terrorists hide among the innocent, where Iran's terrorist proxies are now attacking American troops. All right. Um, I've been to where he is. It's a place called Djibouti, Africa. I've been there as a Marine. I've been there as a uh, journalist. You know, you can walk down the street and nothing bad's going to happen to you. Uh, but I do think this is inappropriate. Michael Haley, Major Michael Haley, on active duty right now in Djibouti, is tweeting political content like crazy. That's his Twitter account, we believe. He is tweeting pro-Nikki Haley stuff and anti-Trump stuff. Donald Trump's out of cash, plans on using RNC in America as his personal piggy bank. Now, this is really, I mean, you can engage if you're not in uniform. He's on active duty, right? Defending democracy. What the heck is he beating up on Donald Trump for? How does he have the time? And he's doing it like crazy. Next, please. Judge finds Donald Trump more than $350 million, bars him from running business in New York three years. Like, he's celebrating this. He's celebrating what he thinks is the demise of Donald Trump. And then he retweets stuff like crazy. Nikki tweets something nasty about Donald Trump. He retweets it. This is wrong, and I'm going to show you right now that it's actually against the regulations. Putin did this. He's always tweeting all of this partisan stuff. Shouldn't he be, uh, I don't know, hard at work guarding Africa or whatever he's doing over there at uh, Camp Lemonnier, Djibouti? All right, folks, I'm not being too hard on him. I, I was in uniform, too. There were regulations about engaging in politics, and you can't do it. Let's go to the DOD regulations specifically about what he's doing. Per longstanding DOD policy, active duty personnel may not engage in partisan political activities. Period. Well, no period there, but they may not post links to share or retweet comments or tweets from the Facebook page or Twitter account of a political party or candidate running for partisan office. Such activity is deemed to constitute partisan uh, political activities. You can't do this stuff, Major Mike. I think we got one more. Examples include showing contempt for public officials. Contempt for public officials. Donald Trump is a public guy. He's soon to be the nominee. And he's saying, ooh, he's using the RNC as a piggy bank, right? Can I see this guy again? Michael, look, you are on active duty, and that's nice. Pay attention to your job. you got to get out of politics. You want to come back here and campaign with Nikki? That's fine. And Nikki does need the help. She's on the verge of losing South Carolina, big time. And just as a reminder, South Carolina, this is what she thinks of y'all. We were the only Indian family in our small southern town. I was teased every day for being brown. So anyone that wants to question it can go back and look at what I've said, 
on how hard it was to grow up in the deep south as a brown girl. A brown girl. So I read her book, and she tells a different story in the book, a very different story. She's phony, she lacks integrity, and I think she's going to lose big tomorrow, just as she deserves. We'll be right back. It's uh, basically official. The judge signed an order. Donald Trump has to pay in a little less than 30 days $454 million to the state of New York. What? This situation is fraudulent. What kind of system, right? That judge, that kooky judge, ordering a former president of the United States to pay this kind of money in this time frame. Now, I'm told that Donald Trump can make this payment, and he will make this payment. That's what I'm hearing. Um, but none of this should be happening. And the authorities, they just can't leave it alone, right? They just, they want to keep milking the situation and the tough talk and the saber rattling. If he does not have funds uh, to pay off the judgment, uh, then we will seek, uh, you know, judgment enforcement mechanisms in court. And we will ask the judge to seize his assets. There should be battalions of law professors, prosecutors, defense attorneys, former prosecutors, everybody with a position of any kind of authority or status should be standing up and saying, this is insane. If I can find what I just found, they can find it too. I've been talking about this. Look, the Mar-a-Lago stuff is, I get that. Trump is a victim. But to me, this is the biggest crime. And it's a little thing, but I have to go here. Uh, what the judge did, a crime. Donald Trump, Donald Trump owns a 30% piece of two major buildings that don't have his name on them. Uh, 1296th Avenue here in New York City and 555 California Street. That building, by the way, uh, that's where the Zodiac Killer fired a shot at the girl in the pool in the first uh, Dirty Harry movie. So Donald Trump owns 30% of that. The judge said that he, Trump, fraudulently represented his 30% trust as cash, and that's a problem. Uh, every year, Donald Trump's interest in the Vernado partnership was included in the cash portion of his SFC, falsely indicating that it was at his disposal and that it was liquid when it clearly and contractually was not. Notice how he put cash in quotation marks, just the word cash. Do you see that? Bring it up one more time. This is important. Cash, the cash portion of the SFC. So I went to the SFC, the uh, Statement of Financial Condition from this accounting firm named Mazar. See? And what does it show? They have a cash category, but it's not just cash. Cash and cash equivalents. Cash and cash equivalents. The property, the trust, is a cash equivalent. Notice how he just put the word cash in quotation marks? They're out to get him. They don't care. The election is in November. The appeal is in 10 years. This is what it's all about. I can't believe it's happening in America. And actually, I can believe that. I can't believe more people aren't stepping up and saying, this is the problem right here. This is anti-democratic. You know, Tucker was talking about this. In a democracy, you know, the people vote for, well, uh, their rulers, in a sense, right? And if we don't like them, we vote them out. But we have a situation here where the rulers are using the courts 
to take away from the people a choice, a potential ruler that we want to vote for, that we want to support. In defense of democracy, this is the antithesis of democracy. It's disgusting, and more people have to do whatever they can to protest this, to say it's wrong. Do it publicly. Do it on social media. Do it wherever you can. All right. And now, let's take a look at El Salvador. Have you heard about this, how they're taking care of criminals down there? I mean, let's face it, MS-13, uh, there are a lot of bad dudes down there, but the government is doing uh, what has to be done. And look, may not look ideal, but it's El Salvador, and they get to make these decisions. And, well, here's the president of El Salvador, and he's making that case. You know, a lot of the world, they're, you shouldn't be doing that with these prisoners. It looks too, I don't know what it looks like. It looks like prison. Anyway, he's getting a hard time from human rights groups. Uh, this is President uh, Bukali, I think his name is, and uh, he's okay. We took the recipes from the OAS, we took the recipes from the UN, we took the recipes from the European Union, we took the recipes from the United States. None of the recipes worked. More bloodshed, more people were dying. So what do we do? Okay, we do something and we save people. And now we're the safest country in the Western Hemisphere. But suddenly something's bad. Oh, but you shouldn't do that. You should do what I think you should do. Why? If it, not only we have the right to do what we think is right and the, what the Salvadoran people are going to decide whether or not they want this day in, in free elections, but also we've proven it works. And you haven't proven that your system works in our country. Might work in yours, I don't know. But it doesn't work in ours. Well, he's dealing with the reality he's got to deal with, and I respect that. Um, and for anybody who says that conservatives are racist, and I hate that. It's so wrong, and it's lazy, and it's... He was a star guest at CPAC, uh, actually, this week, today. Here's the president of El Salvador, uh, a hero's welcome at CPAC. You know, we're all about legal immigration. We're all about truth and justice, and that man fit right in. It was pretty awesome. All right, we'll be right back. It's our America. We built it. Courage. Freedom. Millions go to Newsmax when they need to know. Start today on the free Newsmax app. Newsmax is real news for real people. All right, so it's been two years of this, two years of the Russia-Ukraine war, two years of, uh, well, just this overwhelming expectation that America needs to keep writing checks, keep sending the billions and billions and billions of dollars over there. No one is talking about peace uh, except Donald Trump trying to broker a peace agreement. Would that be so bad? Fred Flights joined, uh, joins us, vice chair of the Center for American Security for America First Policy Institute, and also the uh, veteran of the Trump National Security Council. And Gordon Chang, of course, one of our favorites. Gentlemen, welcome. I am totally at a loss. I'm kind of sick of this war. I think a lot of other people are as well. Fred, where do things stand on this uh, two-year anniversary? Well, it's sadly ironic that the Biden administration just announced crushing sanctions in response to the invasion of Ukraine and the, the killing of Navalny. And Greg, you remember that the administration threatened unprecedented sanctions just two years ago if Putin invaded. Well, Putin ignore, ignored those sanctions. And we've seen a Ukraine policy of empty threats and lecturing and name calling by, by Joe Biden. And we've seen no strategy 
if you know if Biden could show how the money we're sending to Ukraine and the weapons would help Ukraine win, I would be for it. But that's not going to happen now. We're now in a long-term war of attrition. The Ukraine's going to lose. It's going to lose its troops. Meanwhile, Biden won't even approach peace talks. And that's what we have to do. It is immoral to keep throwing money and weapons at this country to destroy a generation of, of, of young men fighters. Donald Trump is exactly right. We have to get to the bargaining table. We have to get to peace talks. Gordon, what do you think? I think this is a world of flame. You know, we have to view Ukraine not in the context of just Ukraine, but what is happening. This is China trying to destabilize the world. It's not just Ukraine. It's also North Africa and the Middle East. These are Chinese proxy wars. And one way or another, we're going to have to view this in a context which I think Americans don't want to. Um, you know, we don't want to view that this is world is divided, that we are facing uh, the beginnings of perhaps the Third World War. But that's what this is starting to look like. Um, wow. All right. Hey, just going back to your anniversary, I have to show you guys uh, this moment. It was about four or five days before the war started. Joe Biden kind of uh, given the green light, in my opinion. Take a look. And I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. <laughs> My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. This is on the eve of the invasion. What about tough talk? What about don't do this? What about, you know, we're going to. It was so weak, almost like he wanted it. I mean, it's almost like a lot of powerful interests want this war and they enjoy a stalemate for some reason, Fred. You know, Biden also threatened to Putin. We will send weapons to Ukraine if you invade. Talk about giving Putin a green light. Now, the Ukrainians did pretty well for the first six months of the war. While uh, Biden diddled and refused to send the weapons that they needed, when the Ukrainians ran out of the, the weapons that they needed in the fall of 2022 and the Russians dug in, we didn't send the weapons that may, allow, may have allowed them to turn the tide of the conflict. And we've had a ceasefire, a, a stalemate ever since. So I don't know what the purpose is right now of these large amounts of weapons going into, into a war where the Russians are dug in and we have a long-term war of attrition. There's no strategy here. You know, I remember uh, Richard Nixon. I showed everybody a tape last night. He had a big map of Vietnam, and he would go through it and tell everybody, you know, the bad guys are here, the outposts in Cambodia are here, this is my strategy, this is... And we get nothing like that from this administration. It's 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 pretty wild. Is uh, Biden getting too close to the Navalny, uh, Gordon? I mean, yeah, it feels great. Great photo op to hug the wife and all that stuff. But does that complicate matters for America? Well, you know, I actually don't think it does, because we have to view Putin for what he is. He's an evil aggressor um, and he's working closely with China. Remember, on the just after the first anniversary of the attack on Ukraine, we had Xi Jinping in Moscow saying, quote, changes occurring that has, hasn't happened in 100 years. And we, remember he's speaking to Putin, and we are driving this change together. So we're looking at, I think, um, a bigger, much bigger conflict here. You know, we didn't negotiate with the Third Reich. I don't think we should be negotiating with Putin or Xi Jinping. We got to stop Putin, and we do that. That's the best way to prevent Xi Jinping from attacking Taiwan, Philippines, Japan, whatever. 
this is a much broader conflict and much greater implications. To respond to what my friend Gordon Chang said, Donald Trump believes in transactional diplomacy. We dealt with Stalin, many other dictators in the past. This administration won't even talk to the heads of our totalitarian enemies. And the lack of dialogue with China, the lack of dialogue with Putin. Biden hasn't talked to Putin since the war began. We don't have to give Putin what he wanted, but with this lack of discussion, this lack of diplomacy, it's caused these relationships to deteriorate. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. Fred Flights, Gordon Chang, to be continued. We'll be right back. How about this, huh? Boyfriend, girlfriend, 2,000 phone calls, 12,000 text messages. What are they, in high school? <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of going back and forth. Why is this significant? Well, uh, apparently they lied about when they started this relationship. That's a big deal. And it's even bigger deal that they're going after the president of the United States and they've been lying about, well, just about everything. Joe DeGeneva joins us, the former U.S. attorney for Washington, D.C., and Doug Burns, former federal prosecutor, uh, especially here in the criminal division for the Eastern District of New York. Welcome, gentlemen. Joe, man, uh, it seems like a big deal to me. You're the prosecutor. What do you say? Well, if I'm the Fannie Willis team, I'm not very happy with Fannie and Nathan. Uh, I, I think this is very, very significant data. It needs to be analyzed. We can't draw perfect conclusions from it, but it does appear to conflict with their testimony about when their relationship intensified, and that would have been in 2021, not in 2022 when they claimed. Uh, this data uh, can be manipulated. Uh, the person who did it seems to be a very fine investigator. He seems to know what he's doing. And uh, we shall see. If I'm Judge uh, McAfee, I'm not very happy because this data appears appears to be inconsistent with the testimony of both Miss Willis and Mr. Wade. So um, I'm assuming he's going to have them back on the witness stand. And if he's not satisfied, what are the chances, Doug, that this case goes away or is the most we can hope for uh, Fonnie and Nate go away and somehow that delays the case? Well, you're right, Greg, in, in that it's a two-step analysis. You know, the first step is disqualifying her and Nathan Wade because of the conflict of interest. Um, and then the second step would be dismissing the case. But there's an actually a built-in political thing that's really fascinating, and that is you hear the left side media saying, Oh my God, if it's given to another prosecutor, oh, they may turn around and you know dismiss the case. They're saying the silent part out loud, which is this is the outlier who would bring a racketeering case. Are you kidding me? On these facts, that's crazy. And back to the cell phone data, I just want to say it also shows that a lot of it was in the evenings. So I mean, they're in a tough box. I mean, they can continue to throw Hail Marys like this doesn't prove it was romantic and we were working together anyway. But, man, if they dig themselves in more, it's going to get even worse. Hey, uh, gentlemen, I saw something. All right. The Judge Angeron, we know he's crazy, but a lot of folks were, you know, talking about this case in rather simplistic terms, even on our side. And I saw something that I think, quite frankly, is just smoking gun proof of his um, of his corruption. I mean, corrupt in the sense that he was out to get Trump no matter what. So can I put up the Vernado Trust holdings? Donald Trump owned a 30 percent stake in uh, two buildings, 
555 California Street and uh, 1296 Avenue, California Street in San Francisco. It was uh, 30% worth of you know, maybe $100 million, maybe $500 million, doesn't matter. On the SFC, he declared this as um, under other assets, cash and, uh, and cash equivalents. The judge said that he only portrayed this as cash. And I got it yep. right here. The judge said it, Donald Trump fraudulently, fraudulently represented this as cash. Yet the paperwork actually said cash and cash equivalents. To me, it's like, wow, the judge, the judge is being deceptive. And oh, by the way, he wants his money by the end of the month uh, or within about three and a half weeks. Joe. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that this judge has demonstrated an animus toward Trump and the Trump family and organization. Uh, I have watched him as much as you can watch in proceedings like this. And the, the conclusion that one comes to is that he has been unfair, injudicious, prejudiced, retributive, and any one of a number of things. He certainly has not demonstrated the type of objectivity we require from trial courts. So I'm not surprised that he may have tried to trick everyone by misreading data purposely. He's obviously not a stupid man. But he appears to be venal, and that's the worst thing you can have in a, in a judge. Shouldn't there be, and you guys are the exception, and you're amazing, you're brave, and you have great credentials. It seems to me that there should be battalions of, of lawyers, of academics, of government officials, ex-government officials, stepping up and saying out loud that what is happening to Donald Trump is horrific. You know, we used to have the ACLU. They would defend anybody. You know, uh, it was on principles. They defend the, the, the Nazis, let them protest. You know, uh, First Amendment, the Constitution was that important. Everyone seems to be just going with the flow, Doug, um, on Trump. Well, this was the outlier situation. In other words, as you brilliantly said, the ACLU used to stand for you know, free speech, the right to defend yourself, the right to be heard in court. But Joe laid out exactly what this judge did. He was not interested in the truth. It was a disgrace. And 10 times worse, which is amazing, is that they asked for a simple extension of 30 days vis-a-vis -vis the economic penalties. I've never seen that denied ever. I'd be curious as to U.S. Attorney DeGeneres point of view on that. And, and it just shows you the hostility. Um, Joe, are you, are you surprised that there are more people? I mean, maybe they just don't want the Rudy Giuliani treatment, you know? I mean, they try to ruin Rudy. Uh, take his law license, take his clients, scare everybody off. This is, this is a really dark time. And if I could, forgive me, I have no supporting uh, visuals, but your thoughts on the FBI arresting Alexander Smirnov, the, <laughs> the previously confidential human source uh, who, who, who well, may have had the goods on Biden? Well, that case is being led by David Weiss, who is the compromised and politically corrupt U.S. attorney, now special counsel out of Delaware. Uh, the FBI knew that Smirnov was dealing with Russian intelligence because that was part of his job with the FBI. He'd been working for them for years, being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now all of a sudden, uh, they've discovered that there's gambling going on in the casino. This is ludicrous. This is clearly a prosecution that was designed to protect President Biden. Remember, it is David Weiss who refused to allow, through Leslie Wolf, his principal deputy, the raising of any questions about Foreign Agents Registration Act, the questioning of the Bidens, the execution of search warrant at Hunter Biden's storage facilities. 
This indictment of Smirnoff is a disgrace. It is clearly a cover your fanny move. It's designed to make them look good. But all it does is make David Weiss look even more corrupt. It is wild. It is Doug, Doug, go ahead. I totally agree. You know, this guy was a prized informant until he started dishing information that went against the Bidens. And then all of a sudden, he's under arrest. Couldn't agree with Joe Moore. It's really incredible what has become of this country. Uh, help is on the way, I feel. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Joe Geneva and Doug Burns. I'll be You're right. welcome. Hey, we like the NRA, right? They do a lot of good work, often misrepresented by the fake news. That's Wayne LaPierre. A jury just found that he uh, misspent millions of dollars of the NRA's money, and he's going to have to pay. The judge ordered him to pay $4.4 million. He's got to pay it back to the NRA. Um, all kinds of things were going on there, apparently taking private jets, spending outrageous amounts of money on, on suits and things like that. I have not been following the case all that closely. Um, that's kind of sad to hear um, that he may have been doing those things. So then again, in these crazy trials, anything can happen. Uh, but Wayne LaPierre um, left the organization uh, some time ago, and there were complaints about how he managed it and accusations that he was misspending money wildly, you know, giving it to friends, family, and uh, excessive purchases all over the place. So that happened just a little while ago. I want to talk about Matt Gates, Republican of Florida. I like Congressman Gates, passionate, patriotic, incredibly articulate, and uh, sometimes he's a host of this show, a guest host. So I like Matt. Uh, Matt has, he's not a favorite of the fake news. They're always giving him a hard time about something. And remember, he was falsely accused of some pretty nasty stuff. It was all false. It was all fake. The New Yorker magazine, uh, not my favorite, used to be a great magazine, but not anymore, just wrote a nasty hit piece on him. You can tell it's a bad piece. This is one of those cases where you can judge a book by the cover. Look at Matt Gates. That's, that, that, we didn't do that to the picture. The New Yorker magazine, do you see it? They darken it. They make him look like a bad guy, shady guy. <laughs> what does Matt Gates look like? No, like, no, right? <laughs> Did they have to do it? Did they have to do that? So the piece is, you know, real fake news hit job. And it was written by a guy named Dexter Filkins, one of their staff writers. And if I look like that, well, I wouldn't be picking on Matt Gates. okay? I mean, if we wanted to make you, Dexter, look worse than you do, we could. <laughs> And you might look something like this. All right. If you ever want to talk and uh, clean yourself up, let me know. Not nice what you did to Matt Gates. We'll be right back. And since then, since I got out of the administration, I have called him out multiple times, which is why he's upset because he thinks I'm disloyal. I'm not loyal to anyone I don't do that. That's the problem. Right there, Nikki Haley. Wow. What do they say? Uh, when you, somebody tells you who they are, believe them. 
So tomorrow is the primary, Saturday in South Carolina. We'll have all kinds of coverage, right? Oh, yeah, Rob Finnerty and uh, Bianca Della Garza will be handling everything for us, so that should be fantastic coverage. Who do you think is going to win? Uh, I think we know, but I, by how much? Also, we want to talk about this. Newsmax Plus. Have you gotten it yet? It really is a great deal. It's not much money, and uh, you get access to all things Newsmax. You get uh, Newsmax 2, Newsmax, uh, archival footage, all the Trump rallies. You know, Fox doesn't show those. Great documentaries, movies, TV shows, all kinds of content. So NewsmaxPlus.com, please take a look. And I know you know that we're doing some special things here. I so appreciate your support. And the support I see on social media. I appreciate you very much. The team appreciates you. Uh, we're working hard to provide you content that is compelling and true. And I think we're doing a pretty good job. Spread the word if you feel like it. Okay, we're wrapping things up. It's time for a baby video uh, or babies. What do we have them doing now? <laughs> Hello. Well, there's Annalise hugging Madeline. Let's see what happens here. <laughs> Sometimes the big sister can kind of roughhouse the little sister a little bit too much, but I love it. Four and two, and uh, it's delightful. I now know what everybody was talking about when it comes to raising kids. It's a beautiful thing. I'm very, very blessed, my wife and I. We thank God, and we thank you. And I thank uh, everybody in the back. All right, I'm out of time, and the week is over. Stay tuned tomorrow, and uh, good luck, Donald Trump. I'll see you soon.